Hello and welcome to the Essential B2B Podcast. I am your host, Joe Ducaro. For this episode, I was joined by sales evangelist for Lead Forensics and certified charming human, Tyler Witt. Tyler is a lovely guy who offers up some fantastic sales advice in this podcast. We also spoke about the importance of mindset and communication with your prospects. So without further ado, here is Tyler Witt's episode of the Essential B2B Podcast. What mistakes do you consistently see in the world of sales? Uh, well, I think the two biggest ones for me in terms of just kind of ongoing mistakes is probably on both sides of the funnel, right? There's a lot of mistakes you're going to, you know, change and need to learn in the middle. But if I look at kind of the bookends of your sales, so mistake one is prospecting. So people just simply don't do enough prospecting. I mean, don't even need to say much more than that. Like you can never have too much pipeline. So I think mistake number one is just not prospecting enough or consistently or to the right people or, you know, whatever it is, but you're just not doing enough on that front end to keep your pipeline full. And then on the back end, um, it, it's going to be follow-up, right? I think a lot of people really struggle. There used to, there's a mantra. I don't know how familiar you are with some of these like sales axioms, but there's this old completely um, you know, idiotic axiom of don't chase, replace, which is great advice in terms of always be prospecting, but terrible advice in the fact of don't follow up, right? It can take, you know, uh, months sometimes for even the best of prospects because you have to have you know your budget your timeline your need um, authority right your classic band stuff but that like timeline um, sometimes just isn't lining up so you can have the right solution you have the right you know pricing product all that stuff but if the timeline isn't correct you're not going to get it so you need to be following up and be in front of those people um, so that to me are probably the two biggest mistakes I see number one just not prospecting and number two you're letting go of something. If they're a good fit, do not ever let go of it. Um, and you know, I, hopefully, I don't have to say you don't. You're not being rude. You're not being pushy. You're not, you know, um, annoying these people. But you're staying in professional contact with them. Um, I had a firm belief when I was frontline sales that everybody will buy from me eventually. Like I, I believe that to my core because if I took the time to go prospect them, especially, right. Um, if I took the time to go, you know, focus in on them, run the demo, and we got into a process, it meant I saw a fit there. I, I value my time. I'm not going to just chase somebody down or try to, you know, put a square peg into a round hole. Like we were talking because there was a fit there. Just because they didn't buy doesn't mean they're never going to buy. So part of the job was is staying in front of them. So that's, I think, to me, the two biggest mistakes I see. And uh, do you have a, a sort of a preferred method of communication? when it, it comes to, to getting in touch with prospect phone like I, to me it's you know the thing about the phone is this you can accomplish so much more in a two minute five minute phone call than you can in a, a series of five weeks of back and forth emails or linkedin messages or this and that so i i always go for the phone and i, I say like if you're not having <clears throat> if the prospect doesn't want to talk to you on the phone you're already in trouble. Like that's probably your number one sign that that is not a viable opportunity at this time. Now there's probably work you can do, you know, potentially to get there, but people do buy from people they, you know, like and trust that kind of thing, right? Respect, however you, however you want to say it. Um, so people won't get on a phone with you, <laughs> you know, like that's pretty, pretty big deal, right? If you ask, you know, um, somebody out and say, you want to go to dinner and they say, no, that's all right. Like 
look, that's just not uh, it's not a good start to a relationship. So if you try and you know call somebody like I'm too busy, like that's just not a good relationship, you know, beginner. Um, but yeah, I mean, in, you know, you don't always need to call people. I obviously I want to connect to them on LinkedIn. I do want to engage with their posts. Um, and, and again, I don't have to comment on every post, but I'm going to like posts. And if I do have something thoughtful to say back, I, I would, you know, very sparingly engage with your prospect. That's a dangerous road unless you truly do have insight, but like liking them, you know, you know, sharing them, connecting with other people in your organization. Um, and in mail is fine, but like, yeah, I mean, I've, you know, one of the things to me is once I've built a relationship with a prospect and I do like, uh, you know, I feel like I can reach out to them. Um, I'll give one quick little trick that I think will help a lot of salespeople. When you get to the end of a call, ask them, you know, Hey, what's the best method of communication? Maybe they do have Slack or teams and you're on Slack or teams. You can do it that way. That's fine too. Um, a lot of them will say, Oh, I prefer texting or they'll say some, you know, something like that. Um, you can even just ask, is it okay if I teams you or, you know, Slack you or send you a text, they're typically going to say, yeah, it's fine. You can shoot me a text and say, great. What's your cell? So I, I've always done that is like, right, Joe, um, do you mind if I just, you know, we got an appointment. It looks like two weeks out here um, due to the holidays coming up, kind of a bit of the ways out. So do you mind if I send you a quick text, you know, maybe the day before the day of the meeting, just a reminder to, in to kind of firm it up for us. Is that fine with you? You're going to say, yeah, of course, that's fine. Great. What's your cell phone number? Um, you know, and then at that point, they're kind of in that corner to get up. But yeah, for me, it's, it's always phone, whether that's text or a phone call. It's going to be my preferred method. And I guess um, given that you are, you know, the proclaimed charming human it's a lot easier to sort of exude that charm and that personality through you know a phone call rather than you know a, a, a typed out message you know so yeah I, I think you're probably right there um yeah and i think if not as important probably more importantly than that i can understand them better right you send me an email right. i'm like you know shake it through the tea leaves of like, all right, what does that mean? Oh, they put an emoji in here. What does the emoji mean on that? Okay. That was a period, not an exclamation point, but then down here, like you're just, you're sifting through the tea leaves. But if, <laughs> if I'm on the phone with somebody, I can hear your tone. Right. And once I hear your tone, I can get the subtext and all of that. And I can actually speak to the things that, you know, I need to be speaking to rather than, you know, throwing darts at a board, hoping I'm, you know, uh, understanding the right context and message I should be speaking to. I, I could have done with you in my uh, my teenage years, Tyler, when I was forming relationships through people, you know, on MSN Messenger <laughs> and things, and analyzing every single different, you know, spelling and emoji, that sort of thing. So <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm married, going on ten years. You know, I, I've been with not married for ten years, but I've been with my partner for ten years, and I still do that when she texts. Like, okay, <laughs> wait a minute, what does that mean? Does that mean I can stay out and watch the rest of the game, or does that mean I should be? What do you guys end up like showing it to buddies? Like, what do you think about? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the the key one is when it's when it is the the period and not an exclamation point. Yes. Like, oh, oh, I'm I'm in trouble. <laughs> oh yeah. The moment there's any kind of punctuation in a text, you're like, all right, there's something there. <laughs> there's something there. <laughs> what um, what, what what challenges have you been working on recently then? Uh, I think you know the biggest challenge for so, you know, I'll give you two answers, right? So professionally, just kind of in the the sales that I'm in right now, it really is just identifying what the best markets are to go after. And I think this, and I say that because I think it'll be applicable to a lot of people out there is, you know, there's a lot of change in the economic climate. Um, and so really identifying down, like, I mean, I know who ICP is for me. I know who my, you know, so, you know, 
uh, my total marketplace uh, looks like, you know, I have a very good understanding of that, but like, I think, you know, who are my DMS in this kind of environment? Um, can I still get away with, uh, you know, pitching maybe high level or do I need to go all the way to the top of like C-suite? Right. Um, so that's a big part, big challenge is cause that changes, right. Who can sign off on stuff is wildly different in a bullish market versus kind of a bearish market. Um, and what that process looks like, I can spend a lot more money, right. When I've got, you know, if I got $10,000 in my savings account, my wife's not too upset if I go out, um, you, you know, and, and purchase, you know, sporting uh, event tickets or something and get nicer seats, right? Um, but if we're kind of on paycheck to paycheck or we're on financial watch and I just go out and I buy, you know, um, whatever it is, like uh, tickets to something, uh, that's, that's kind of a big deal if I didn't run it by her first. So I think that's a big part of it. And just in terms of who I want to go. Um, so that, so I think professionally, that's a big challenge right now is like, you know, in, in what company should I be calling on, you know, mid-market enterprise, that's where all the layoffs are happening. I mean, just, you know, I think this is something a lot of people out there are seeing the layoffs are happening there, the cutbacks are happening there. Um, and also at the same time, everybody else is trying to sell in there because that's what they've been building their tech stack and their process around. So is that the smartest idea right now? Do I really want to be in that crowded market to companies that are, deciding if they're ne if they're in growth or cutback mode or what that next move looks like. So that's a big challenge, um, quite, quite honestly. And then, you know, personally, the biggest challenge for me is always just staying up to date. That's, that's always the biggest challenge in sales is to read enough, consume enough, digest enough information that I, I'm as up to date as is as possible. The classics never go out of style. So your Brian Tracy's, your Zig Ziglar's, you know, that type of stuff, even the old, you know, ET kind of mindset stuff that never goes out of style, but there's always new tech stack, new approaches. Um, you know, that those are the things that personally is always a challenge is what advice do I take? What advice do I not take? Which methods should I give a shot with? Um, and then just being able to consume enough to make the best judgment. It's it's an ever changing phase of industry, isn't it? Particularly just with the speed, you know, as you say, the tech changing all the time. So applying the older methods to new technologies is that ever a simple transaction? Or I so it's so I th I think so. I honestly do. So like let's let's think about the, one of the most classic, right? Like um, how to win friends and influence people, right? It's probably one of the oldest, you know, sale. I mean, there's, there's there are some older ones like um, Earl, what is it, Nightingale, um, you know, some some of that kind of stuff. Um, but like, I think the classic that everybody put their head around would be, you know, how to win friends and influence people. And, and I think the principles in that book about using people's names, right. Agreeing, you know, finding common ground, that kind of thing that's easily applied. So even through a channel, like let's say the new, new media, um, something like an Instagram or a TikTok or whatever, you know, social media platform you want to think about, I, I do think those principles still hold true. So, so one of the things, you know, I've, I've really recognized as we look at kind of new media is it does change the way people perceive there's a, oh, I wish I could think about it. There's a really good Ted talk on it and I'll post this later because I do want to source the things that I talk about. Um, but like there's a really good Ted talk where somebody's talking about this communication and they're saying, if you know, go on your, your social media feed and what you'll notice, right. Somebody posts like, let's say, Joe, um, you post a picture of you being in Paris, for example. So you're in Paris, you're by the Eiffel Tower, um, and you look at the comments below it, what you'll tend to find is people saying stuff along the lines of, 
oh, wow, I love Paris. I was there last year. Oh, yeah, I went. And what they're doing is they're taking your experience and they're translating it to their experience. And they're, you know, oh, did you go here while you were there? Did you try this restaurant while you were there? Because what they're really trying to do is make it about them. So I think from a psychological standpoint, right, the, the fundamentals of sales, those never change, right? Even though people love to repackage old ideas, like the, the basics of, you know, behavioral economics, human psychology, you know, that kind of stuff, they don't change. Now, how we can get those messages to people, right, that changes. Right. I do, I do think, but I still think we have to adhere to the basics. So it's important, you know, the fundamentals and then you think about, okay, what channels can I use to now go communicate those into people? So I, I think it's just, so I think it is relatively easy in the sense of how easy is it to learn psychology, behavioral economics, <laughs> communication, like, um, but applying it into there, I, I, I don't think it's all that challenging. Um, and I always remind people, you know, as long as you keep this, this one fundamental truth of sales is it, you're not in the sales business, you are in the people business. So as long as everything you're doing is centered around people, right, and the person you're speaking with, then I think it becomes a bit easier to apply those into those. I do hope that Essential B2B podcast listeners have got their bingo cards because genuinely, Tyler, and, uh, it's happened on webinars with us. There isn't a single episode of this, I think, now that hasn't had the, the sort of a statement around, you know, people buy from people. So yeah. if we had, if this podcast had a motto, that's exactly it. So strike that through on your bingo cards, people. Yeah. Um, what do you love about your industry, Tyler? And is there anything you would change about it? Uh, I, what I love about it is simple, is what it's afforded me. You know, I, like I, you know, people um, have seen... Uh, probably some of the posts uh, from me, like I, I came, you know, I was fortunate. I had a very, very supportive uh, family growing up, very, very close family. Um, but like, I wasn't really, you know, I didn't have a lot of uh, things growing up. I, I came, I moved out to Arizona and, you know, just really struggled. So I, I won't go through all the personal stuff, but like, you know, I've, I've, you know, been through bankruptcy, been through a divorce, uh, had medical issues that left me, you know, in, in very, very precarious situations. Um, I've been homeless, you know, just being completely honest for a short period of my life. Um, and I've really had challenges. And what I love about sales is none of that mattered, <laughs> right? Not a bit of that mattered. The only thing that mattered, it was it's sales is the only, I think, true equal opportunity employer. It is the only thing, one that still exists today. And meaning like in sales, if I show up and I, you know, for me, my, my dad gave me these three pieces of advice, right? Um, learn to read, show up on time and work harder than the person next to you. And, and I think sales is one of those where if you do that, you can make an incredible amount of money, right? More money. And here I'll really upset some salespeople out there more money than we're worth or deserve. And, and I know that may really make salespeople upset, but like, I, I, I truly believe that like, it's, it's the value of our ability to communicate that, that companies are investing in. And so what, what I truly love about it is, is that what it just allows me, the, the life I have now, the home I have now, the zip code I live in now, um, the, the you know, friends I have now, like I, I would have never imagined that for myself. And, and sales is, you know, has 100% afforded me all of that without an, a doubt it's afforded me that. Um, 
I'd say the one thing I, I wish would change in in sales is I think remembering that second piece in there, or I'm sorry, the third piece in there, which is the the work ethic part of it. You know, I if I'm again being frank, I think a lot of times we we want okay, I want this in my tech stack, I want these kind of leads given to me, I want this, this, and this, and it's like and I, and honestly, you can't shouldn't have those, but I think sometimes we downplay the amount of work an investment it takes to become a sales professional, to truly be what I what I call um, a student of sales. That's a big difference. And so one of the things I've done a lot of thinking about recently is an employee, thinking about an employee versus a professional, right? An employee shows up, they do the job that's given to them. They clock in, they clock out, they use the resources that the companies give them and, and off they go, right? And that's fine. That's, that's an employee, right? There's a lot of those. A professional is different. A professional athlete is different than an, you know, a professional footballer, uh, different than like an amateur footballer, right? They, they work harder. They invest time outside. They don't rely on other people to handle things um, in order to get it. They, they just figure out a way and they constantly build their own brand, you know, um, uh, portfolio, et cetera, skill set in order to become the best. And I, I think that's one thing I wish would change. People own your own success and I do think that's something that's changed a little bit in the last kind of five to 10 years. Um, you know, some of it's really great. You know, people make more money. I think there's more openness, but I think some of it's really uh, taking some of the accountability away from what we do for our own success and future. Mm. Yeah, you, you certainly come across as an extremely disciplined individual, Tyler. So I imagine that, <laughs> that pay, you know, it's clearly it's paying off and that buys into what you're saying about becoming a professional versus an employee. So absolutely. Um, yeah. yeah, that was, it was a fantastic answer. I've got to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, you know, and I, and I do want to be careful because like, look at the dream is like, I, I think about somebody like, um, let's go to the extreme. Think about like a Michael Jordan, the amount of work and effort. I mean, he had raw talent, but the amount of work and effort he put in, but by the time the guy, I don't, I, I don't know that much about basketball, but I know sometime in his thirties, he's retired. If he didn't want, he didn't have to work again. You work hard, so you don't have to work as hard, <laughs> right? And that's the, that's the payoff. And I think sometimes we, we don't like a, a doctor. They go to school, like top doctors go to school. They you know do their medical program. They do, do their um, internship. Whatever. I'm not a doctor. So whatever they do is, is so far beyond me. Uh, but you know they do all that. And then they continue to learn. They continue to get their certifications or board certifications or credentials. And they do that. And at a certain point, top, top doctors, you know, not all of them, there's always exceptions to this, but what they do is they open up their own practice and then they, you know, they work really hard to get that going, but then they can start enjoying more, you know, by later, you know, second half of their life, they do enjoy all the benefits of that. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying you should make hard sacrifices earlier in your life, but I, I do think you realize there's a balance. Twenties are for learning. Thirties are for earning and then 40s and beyond should be for, you know, enjoying everything that that's provided for you. I wonder then, Tyler, what is what would you consider your your greatest achievement? And, and this could be professional or personal. That's a that's a good one. I would say. So I, I here, here's how I always answer that question is I had so when I, I've had obviously a lot of, you know, a lot of failures, a lot of successes, you know, um, or fortunately for me, my successes have outweighed my failures, right? So I've had just, you know, it's kind of like, um, 
so in physics, right, they talk about the very beginning of the universe, you know, the universe created and there was matter and there's antimatter, right? And, and it was basically a balancing act. And like there was, you know, again, I'm not a physicist, but like essentially there was like this bit more of matter. So, you know, trillions and trillions, whatever, like, you know, uh, of these particles out there. And, and there's like a tiny bit more of matter than there was antimatter. Therefore, matter won out. And now we have the universe we have today. So I, I think of kind of my career like that, like I had so many failures, but I had just like one or two more successes. <laughs> and that's where, and that's why I was able to actually, you know, be where I am today is just because not because I didn't have a ton of failures, but because I just tend to get one or two more successes. And so one of my achievements was I, I was working at a job and I had this individual that I had a lot of respect for, um, was very successful in a leadership role. And we were, we were kind of talking through something. We were, we were struggling at the, at the, at the company. Um, and this was, yeah. And so don't, I don't know how much I can say about them. So I'll, I'll keep it a little bit vague. I apologize. But he, he pulled me in and we were chatting. And, and what he said to me is he said, you know, Tyler, one of the things that he's like, I admire about you. He's like, is that when everybody else is, is, you know, struggling to kind of, you know, keep their head above water, right? And they're, and they're really kind of struggling. He's like, you always find a way to float. And, and like, and he didn't mean that in a derogatory, you know, full by kind of way, but he meant like, you know, I was able to always kind of stay a, a, above the water on it. And, and so to me, I think that's, you know, one of my, my biggest accomplishments is that the working with people, they, they do tend to view me as a hard worker, driven uh, individual, right? So I, I, I think that that having that view from other people. I mean, that's my biggest, my biggest drive in, in life is the fear of mediocrity. It just, it drives me more than anything. Um, I do not want to end up or be average. And, and so I think that's my biggest accomplishment is that it is those times in my career when I've gotten that recognition of people saying, I, I see what you're doing and it is paying off. And, and, you know, it's not, you know, something I can tangibly point to, but that's that motivation that has kept me going. And, and the fact that I've had people that I've really respected kind of come back and say stuff like that to me, that's probably my biggest accomplishment. And what's really lovely is that so, so clearly just ties into those three things of learn to read, show up on time, work hard on the person sitting next to you. So it's some advice from, uh, from Daddy Witt, for sure. <laughs> you, well, watch tomorrow. I, I always say this, like, so watch tomorrow, anybody watching this, right? Go to show up to your job, whether it's a, um, you know, in office role or you're working remote, right? You have a meeting and just watch the clock and see who shows up on time. You'll notice most people never make it past step two. <laughs> most people <laughs> in life never make it past step two. And so if you can do that and then hit step three and just work hard, work harder than the person next to you, I, I promise you, your, your life will, you know, financially go well i can't promise you for relationships and health and all that stuff right but like financially you should be okay who i mean we've we touched on life lessons from you from your father there tyler but i wonder who else inspires you uh yeah i was like i said i was very very grateful to have a good support system and you know while you know i grew up in you know uh midwest uh iowa and grew up in a hashtag union um household right um uh, so it was most most of my life like it was you know had definitely had the uh, food stamps when i was young and you know some you know government subsidies and this and that so i'm a big proponent that's one thing that drives me i do give back a lot to those kind of programs and support as much as i can um but like i think just as a family unit 
like my my grandparents were very very hardworking, um, you know, first generation kind of American and very hardworking, able to kind of you know make their way very quickly just through the work ethic. Um, my dad obviously, and then you know my mom. My mom had first kid at 17, had a full family by the time she was 25. Like, you know, I couldn't even imagine that. (laughs) I could not imagine that. Um, And, you know, she basically supported my dad as he went through college. So she chose to work. So my dad could go to school because, you know, especially, you know, it had been uh, 70s, 80s, right? Like definitely male is going to out earn the female um, almost 100% of the time. So they made the calculated decision. He'd go to school because that was the best financial investment for the long run. Um, and, and she took care of the kids, worked two, uh, one full-time job and a part-time job. Um, so, I mean, you know, I, it's hard to answer, you know, who else, because there's just so many people mm-hmm. around me um, that they were respectful. They were hardworking. Um, I, I think about my grandma all the time in sales because we could walk into a grocery store. Didn't matter where the grocery store was. Didn't matter what day it was. Like if you went in to get a jar of peanut butter, you'd be in there for a half hour and we'd be going to dinner at somebody's house that night. Like, you know, or somebody <laughs> be coming over to our house for dinner that night because she could make a friend anywhere at any time. Um, and it was an incredible skill set that she had. So, you know, and I just remember sitting there as a kid, like, really, grandma, are we going to do this? And now I'm like, thank you so much for teaching me that. <laughs> like, thank you so much for teaching me how to just have a conversation with anybody because it it's an amazing skill set to have. So, yeah. Absolutely, so, Mo, absolutely. yeah. Yeah, a lot of people, yeah. <laughs> what really motivates you at the start of your day or start of your week? So the biggest thing, I mean, the biggest thing for me that I look at constantly is the leaderboard. So I, you know, it, it may seem trivial to a lot of people, but I had really good advice. Um, you know, I've, I've always been very competitive and, you know, a, a little bit. Like one of my good buddies says, like, the best salespeople have a completely unearned um uh, self, you know, uh, what is it? Completely unearned arrogance about them, right? Like <laughs> you've done nothing, but yet you're so confident about it. Um, so like, you know, we just have that competitive, like I believe, you know, very high self kind of worth self-esteem sort of thing. Uh, but, uh, a Phil man, Phil, uh, James Monahan, uh, O'Hulahan, Patrick man, uh, who you may be familiar with, a uh, good, good friend and uh, colleague. He said, if you watch the leaderboard, everything else will take care of itself. And I've really followed that. So, so one thing I keep a very close eye on is, you know, for, for myself, where am I stack rank against my team? Like, is there, you know, percent of target revenue, um, customer acquisition, like there's so many things I measure, right? Like I pick so many things that you can compete on this KPI, this KPI, uh, you know, whatever it is. And then I, I literally measure myself on all of those. And I just try to get to the top of all of those. And if I and if I hit my KPIs, I will ultimately end up on the most revenue percentage to target that kind of thing. And I do the same thing for my team, you know, like get them to the top of their leaderboard. Um, and that's a big motivator for me is, you know, having teams that like I, you know, bring people in, SDR, promote them up through the reins, right? Um, get people into leadership, get people that I got a guy on my team, you know, that graduated college, uh, went, you know, first year, you know made normal first sales year money of like forty, $50,000. He'll clear, you know, three times that this year, like just, you know, two years later. Like, so, so to me personally, it is the leaderboard. Um, but what kind of, that's what motivates me. The things that inspire me are going to be the things like watching my team grow, 
watching my team's performance, like take them to the top because I know, I know the life sales has given me. And if I get them on that trajectory, I know that it's going to give them that life as well. And now for their family, their children, their communities, whatever it is, they're going to be able to make that, that impact. And that really is like, you know, I think the biggest fear for a human being is they leave this planet and they're forgotten. Right. Um, and I think if you make that impact on people's lives, right, this was a selfish aim to all of it is that you, you, you become remembered, even if it's only by a small group, you, you have that impact and now you're remembered and now your, your life seems uh, more purposeful. If I'm being honest, at least that's how I've always thought of things. So that's kind of what inspires me is I make this impact and then therefore my life has, you know, maybe a small bit of meaning. And I think what you said, again, you're, you're reflecting brilliantly on yourself, though, because that is what you've just said there is essentially having that impact. It's the same as your colleague who said to you, you know, when everyone else is struggling to step up water, you find a way to flow. So, again, it's, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, it seems to be. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it um, takes a lot of work of focusing on what drives you and what motivates you and takes a lot of hours of, of reflecting on that. And, and, you know, you come up, you, you start scratching the surface after that point, you never quite get there, but you start scratching the surface. <laughs> <laughs> How do you decompress from work? And do you have like a decent solid divide between your work and personal life? Is there some blurring? Is there no barrier at all to that? What does that look like for you? Uh, my wife would say I'd never decompress. She'd say I'm always high strung and she would not say it's because of work. She said, I just, it's the way I'm built. Uh, I think my psychiatrist tend to agree with my wife on that. So, uh, <laughs> I, you know, I'm just naturally, you know, a high energy, high strung, high wired person. And it's definitely not due to work. So for, from work standpoint, yeah, there's a couple of things. So I, I get up every morning and, you know, I'm up at 4am and I spend from 4am to 5am and, and I focus on the day. If I feel stressed or whatever, then I actually use that more towards journaling, right? Than I do towards actually looking at numbers, this and that. But my four to five is like, all right, what do, you know, so key intentions on the day. Like I look through my team, like what things do I have to make sure I cover? What things are in my calendar? put things are in my calendar, but I don't need to do them. <laughs> like those kind of things. I kind of prioritize on my day. Um, and that's it. And have my cup of coffee, have the news on in the background. It's my first hour of just waking up uh, five till six thirty or so, you know, uh, I'm going to the gym, shower, all that kind of stuff. And then I, I, I go to work and then, you know, from, you know, the time I step into work and I work, you know, seven to four are my hours. Um, I, I work, like I focus on work. I don't, you know, like obviously if there's something else I, I, I leave, but I, I do separate that and seven to four is work. I, I'm not checking scores. I'm not checking news. I'm not doing anything that would distract me from work, but at four o'clock, I promise you I leave. <laughs> so I, that's one of the things I would say is that a lot of people, it, they kind of half-ass it. And when you half-ass it, the problem is you you do think a lot about the things maybe you didn't do. Like, did I turn the oven off? Did I forget to do this? Did I didn't do that, right? When you have that checklist of things and you accomplish it, you don't today. Like, I, I, I do not have at um, at six o'clock at night, I do leave it on until six just in case my team does need something. But my whole team knows, everybody in the department knows at six o'clock, my phone no longer shows messages outside of my family. So it's set up so I only get a notification if it's somebody inside of my family, right? Text or call, no social media, no nothing like that. Every other notification gets turned off. Um, I have nothing that goes to my smart smartwatch that's at all work related ever in the history of things, right? 
Um, so I, I do have a big divide. The moment I w- shut down my laptop, walk out of the office, whatever day it is, remote or in office, uh, yeah, my day is done for work. <laughs> like it is done, done. Um, and, and I and I think a lot of people struggle with that simply because. So again, I had this uh, advice from my uncle. Who told me he's like, you know, people that say there aren't enough hours in the day are terrible at time management. He's like, that's the only answer to that. And so he's like, if you manage your day, you, 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 it's easy. An eight-hour day is plenty of time to get everything done if, if you kind of have a plan. So, yeah, you answer your question. I have a hard cutoff. 6 o'clock p.m. would be probably the most succinct way to say that. Notifications are done. My team knows. They're not, they can't get a hold of me um, until basically about 6.30 the next morning. So, If there was one key takeaway one top tip that you would like the listeners of the essential b2b podcast to take away from you today what is that one bit of advice you'd like to offer to them so i th- that's a good question i so it wouldn't be from me i'm gonna i'm gonna change it a little bit so like the, i think one of the biggest things in my life that i've really thought about is so everybody that you know probably taken english literature or something but it came across the book paradise lost by john milton and there's this quote in there right very very famous so i'm not saying anything revolutionary most people reading this or listening this probably would have heard at some point but there's a quote in there um where he says you know the mind is its own place and in it has both the power to make a heaven of hell or a hell of heaven and I think to me that like, you know, especially in today's world where there's so much information coming at you, there's so much uncertainty, right. And insecurity and, you know, um, economic time, like there's just always so much, right. It'll be good and bad and you have pandemic and you all have all this. And, you know, I, I think one of the biggest things is, is just that is like, get your mindset together first. Like I, I believe that once you build that up and get a support system, like if you need professional support, get support. If your friends aren't supporting you, bloody hell, get new friends. <laughs> you know, like if, if it's your family, like you may have to cut, like you may have to, you know, you know, discuss maybe with somebody how you approach them and communicate that to them if you're challenging. Um, but you may have to like, because once you get your mindset in the, in the right place, then everything else falls into place. And, and I, and I truly, truly believe that. And I think that's where a lot of people, um, I, I, you know, in my career is they say, if I want to, you know, get into sales and I'll be able to do this, I want to get this job role and I'll be able to do this. If I get six figures, I'll be able to make this. If I get this promotion, this will happen. And it is no, it is the opposite of that. You get these things and then you, you get these things. And, and, and I think when people start making that connection, and, and they, you know, it becomes easier to turn off the device at night because it's like, yeah, that may help me respond to a customer quicker, but like, I'm going to take the next hour and I'm going to truly invest in myself, right? I, I'm going to, you know, you know, whatever it is, I, I, I've got, you know, I could watch the sporting event or I could go walk outside for a little bit, which will actually clear my head because I get anxiety when I watch sports. So I'm invested well in the team. That's more anxiety. And people don't realize like, shit man you're adding more anxiety into your life like you're doing so much to withdraw right from you from your mental well-being and you're not making enough deposits so like find way to make deposits and, and so that's why i always think of like like it's your choice your choice you can look at any situation and you can see it as bad you can see it as good and, and once you train yourself to just see the good 
right? The good in the customer, the good in your company, the good in your product, the good in your price point, the good in the account, whatever it is, you train yourself to do that, you will find that things work out just tend to work out much better. It's still going to be things that just knock you on your ass, like, you know, blindside you um, out of nowhere, like a bus, but you know, you'll find that the rest of it on balance tends to work out. So that'd probably be my number one, you know, takeaway I'd want people to do is like, it is hard work, but it's absolutely worth it. Tyler, Witt, thank you so much for joining me on the Essential B2B podcast. It has been a real pleasure and a treat to talk to you today. I appreciate it, Joe. And I appreciate anybody that took out time to uh, have a listen to this. Uh, sincerely, I really, really appreciate that.